Welcome to Sound Habit, where some of today's most fascinating artists, producers, label owners, and DJs take us on an intimate journey through their personal record collections and the stories behind the music. With your host, founder of Tone Optic, Fabian Garhalter. The thing that so so the thing that was lost going from vinyl to CD was the vinyl jacket so so looking at the artwork on 12 inch jackets which is a big part of d you know when you're playing vinyl you got you kind of flipping through all this vinyl really quickly um and just look the colors kind of kind of like uh triggered something in your mind uh, that made you want to play that record or you would remember things by the by the jacket of the record you know, but if you're looking at a bunch of burned CDs, you look, they all look the same except for the, what you've written on the CD, you know? This was Dave O'Day, who has to date produced 133 number one U.S. dance tracks, which means he has more number ones than any other producer on the Billboard Dance Club charts. He won a Grammy for his remix of Uptown Funk. He has worked with Everybody, from U2 to Rihanna, Beyoncé to Lady Gaga, Sting to Madonna, the list is endless. And it all started with him establishing the Moonshine label together with Steve Levy in the early 90s, which was tremendously influential in the EDM space. In this episode, I talk with Dave about the music he grew up to, his influences from Giorgio Moroder to The Eagles, how he had to get rid of all but 800 of his vinyl collection. And he did so by giving it to some of his fans. We also talk about something that is at the heart of Tone Optic, the power of the record sleeve and the issues with today's music and not having the information that used to be on the record sleeve on hand. We also talk about how he listens to much of the same music anyone would in his spare time and how his career started with being a big fan of Erasure, and he's now producing them. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave O'Day. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always great to meet new people, and I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's it's such a huge pleasure to have you as as the very first guest on uh, on Sound Habit. I I heard that as a teenager you started off your music uh, career, or I would say your love for music at that time, by learning how to play keyboard because you really wanted to get a gig in a band like Erasure or Depeche Mode. <laughs> that was kind of like you know, <laughs> that's perfect. You you've obviously done some research, and and that's exactly. Correct. Uh, you know, growing up uh, in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, uh, listening to uh, Kiss FM and K Rock, hmm. uh, music was a huge part of my life. And uh, I was very fortunate to get a keyboard at the age of 13. My father knew a guy sort of in the music business, and um, I played piano. So the obvious instrument for me to play would be a keyboard. And, and back when I was 13, the only thing I knew you could do with a keyboard uh, musically, or I should say career wise would be to be in a band. And uh, in high school, one of my favorite bands was Erasure, uh, which is pretty cool because I literally yesterday just finished producing a song for Erasure. 
So <laughs> the cool thing is, you know, my career has gone completely 360 degrees or however you want to say it. And, um, and I can't even believe that uh, I just said what I just said. No, I know. It's, it, it, it's amazing. It's, and I mean, you, you ended up, you ended up remixing Depeche Mode. I know you worked with Andy Bell. Now you, now you did Erasure, right? So it's not, it's not yeah. bad. It's not bad at all for realizing one streams, right? Um, the way, the way that you, you came about that. Um, I've had a couple realizations of multiple dreams, but you know, as a kid, uh, you know, I, I remember being in, um, sixth grade listening to the grease soundtrack over <laughs> and over and over and the only way to listen to anything uh that year when i was six to tell you tell you how old i was uh was vinyl there was no this is actually pre-cassette uh i think there was a track but but really it was vinyl and you know you sit there and look at the double vinyl um album of the grease move from the grease movie with pictures and all, looking at all the pictures singing the songs listening to all the songs over and over and over you know i think i went back and forth between summer nights and grease lightning because those, <laughs> are the, those are the, you know big songs for yeah, yeah. for a sixth for a sixth grader and uh again one of those crazy things is years later many years later uh producing a song for olivia newton john <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like I've had a couple of those moments in my career and, uh, you know, vinyl definitely, I grew up with vinyl. That was a, a big format when I was growing up and uh, it's played a big part of my life. And you know, it's so interesting because you think about how kids grow up these days, and you know that because you're, you're, you're a father of, uh, of, of, I think, two kids, right? Um, three kids. Three. three. There you go. Yeah. Um, so so you've, got pre you've got a lot of insight in that. But you know how back then when you were a kid and you opened that album and there was this visual component and it was this tactile component and you put the needle on the record, it was this whole, it was an experience, right? And it's kind of interesting how kids today, in a way, TikTok becomes kind of like that new experience of like this is how this is how a song becomes more than just music. It becomes kind of like this experience. So it's it's kind of weird, you know, how 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 these things change. But it's also nice to see how there's always there's always something that surrounds songs that is bigger than just a song. Yeah, TikTok's for sure taking the place of radio. Um, yeah, I guess you know when I was a kid, the way you would hear music is on the radio. And then you would go, if you were lucky, you would, your parents would drive you to the record store, whether it was at the mall or a strip mall or whatever. And you would go into the record store and, and just try and search out things, search out the songs that you hear on the radio and then talk your parent into buying you something. Maybe, you, you know, my parents weren't buying me. I don't, I don't remember my parents buying me albums. I think the, I think the, the Grease album was the only album I remember them buying me. They would let me buy 45. Totally. Which yeah. were singles. Which yeah. were singles. Oh, you, you like a song. For instance, I can remember the first three 45s that I remember buying were Pat Benatar, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Oh, nice. D Devo, Whip It, <laughs> and an unknown band who had a one-hit wonder quarter flash called Heart In My Heart. Because those were the the big songs of that week. But I remember buying those three uh, 45s and playing them in my garage for all the kids in the, on the block. 
Isn't over it awesome? And over, and over. over and over and over again, because those are the yeah. three songs that you have. Uh, it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing, and and it's 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 so fun to hear your influence of uh, of of K Rock back in the day, right? Because that was really. Oh my god! K-Rock I wasn't was in the... LA at that time. I was I was still in Austria. I came here in the nineties, but but yeah. I mean that was it, right? I mean what how they influenced um you know eighties music was just unbelievable. It was K Rock was sort of playing the stuff that was blowing up on mtv so it's like k-rock was blowing up mtv was blowing up it's the same stuff was getting played on in, in you know on in both places totally absolutely and and going back going back to how you how you then ended up uh, slipping into the music business if i may call it that um you 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 ended up uh i i, I would say you co co-founding or co-establishing um the record label moonshine which for those yeah. for those listening who were in that scene, I mean that became a really, really, really big deal. I mean, I I, I still have tons of trip hop compilations, and and I yeah. believe Mark Farina was on the label, right? So there were lots of Mark Farina um, CDs. Yeah, Mark Mark was on an he was on one of the sub labels. He did he did a lot of Mark did wasn't putting out we oh, mushroom chess right that was it I think he was doing his mix his mixes like he would do a DJ mix because yeah. Moonshine was really the king of the dj mix so you know before there was internet uh you could go purchase these hour 60 74 74 minute long dj mixes from your favorite techno and house djs to to listen to in your car right right i remember i had a goldie i had a goldie compilation um yep. drum which yep. which by the way it blew it blew my mind because last week goldie came out with a new song and it's actually really great and it's like now there's drum and bass back <laughs> it's like who knew right oh my God. <laughs> yeah some of the best records i've done three two three two i've done two or three drum and bass uh records in oh, my wow. career and probably some of the best records i've ever done i've and i've only done a couple well i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to look those <laughs> up and make sure we add them to the list because um for for for, for, for yourself and and for my for my listeners since this is still a, a new podcast we will have we will have a playlist um going along with the podcast with a lot of the artists that we're mentioning in our our interview so that uh, so that we can kind of like take a sneak peek at that um but when you at the beginning at, at moonshine um that was kind of like the first gig for you in the music industry, and you were really doing everything right. And 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 you were you were super hands on involved in the manufacturing process. I heard, and and this is fascinating to me, and likely any vinyl nerd. So so were you actually cutting the vinyl? Were you cutting the lacquers? Yes. Whoa. Yes. So this <laughs> this, is, this is a crazy thing. I mean, uh, so my first job in the record business was. Uh, at moonshine records and 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 you know the guys who own the label uh realized that uh i was a technical guy uh so basically they said look we're going to build you a studio in when the when the label first first uh uh started we're going to build a studio inside the the building for the the record labels in you get to use the studio but in return you're going to work uh, a regular nine to five job during the day. Uh, and you're going to be in charge of all our manufacturing because we don't know what we're doing with manufacturing. We figured you're a studio guy. You'll know, you know, you can learn really quickly or figure out all the manufacturing. So very quickly overnight, I had to learn all about manufacturing CDs, cassettes, uh, <laughs> mastering, and 
uh, and vinyl was big. So I had to learn where to cut vinyl, how to cut vinyl, all the ins and outs of, you know, uh, there's some people that know what they're doing. There's some people that don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, uh, test pressings, uh, dub plates, all this fun stuff wow. that goes along with manufacturing vinyl, you know, and then the artwork center label, and um uh sleeve design and everything that go along with manufacturing cds cassettes and vinyl i learned very quickly and i was in charge of manufacturing and and i would have to figure out you know how many things we needed to manufacture and hopefully we didn't have to we need to manufacture too many because you don't want to be having things sit around forever which happened many things many times right and uh you don't want to run out of things and then not have anything to sell so i i I was thrown into this job of manufacturing. I never in a million years would have thought I was going to be in charge of manufacturing. So what a thrilling experience. And I mean, for you, it was, it was the best of both worlds. I mean, you got it. You got a freaking studio. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, you had to slave yeah. away trying, you know, most probably anxiety driven of like, how do I make this happen? How do I, how do I do all of this? And on the other hand, you, you had a, you had your playground, which you always, I mean, that, that was most probably a dream come true. Yeah, well, I mean, I had a studio at home, you know, so when I got the job, uh, I, I was, you know, most of my gear was in my parents' house, and they, they were ready for me to get all this gear out of their house. So it was a per it was perfect timing. Uh, I had a place to put all my gear and work. And so I, wor I would work at the record label during the day. And then when six o'clock hit, I would go into the studio and um, be in the studio till two or three in the morning, uh, making making music for the original artists that the label was signing. Amazing, amazing, and I mean, you know, fast forward, fast forward to today, um, and you've, I mean, what you've got, you you produced one hundred thirty three, I think, is the latest number, uh, number one yeah. U.S. dance tracks, which means you have more number yeah. ones than any other producer on the Billboard Dance Club charts. You you won a Grammy for the absolutely sick remix of Uptown Funk. I mean, that was just that was just amazing, and yeah, and just now. Uh, I believe in the last couple of days, given your Instagram uh, feed, uh, you you just got a third Grammy nomination, um, which which third is amazing. Grammy nomination for um, <laughs> a song that not a lot of people know about, unless you're a huge fan of Demi Lovato and Ariana Grande. Uh, song a song that I remixed earlier this year called "Met Him Last Night," which for a couple of weeks was a single, and then as you know, as things happen at record labels the record label, this, something happened and they changed to another song. And, but my, the good thing is my remix came out and all Demi's and Ariana's fans uh, went crazy and streaming it. And uh, it, it worked out pretty good because somebody liked it. So like I got nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> so good. Good for you. Congrats. Congrats on that. And, and despite, you know, working with, all these big names, right? I mean, we already dropped some, but I mean, you know, Rihanna, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, right? Sting, Madonna, where, wherever, right? I mean, it, it goes anywhere. Um, you still happen to find time or you make time to 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 be grounded and to do DJ gigs um, all, all the time. When you DJ, do, do you ever spin vinyl at all anymore? No. Or is that, that those days are no. over, right? Those days are over. You know, I, I carried vinyl I carried briefcases of vinyl through airports. It's heavy. <laughs> uh, for, for 15 years. And I said to myself, one day, I'm not going to have to carry all this stuff. You know, whether, uh, so because 
the vinyl didn't didn't go i didn't go right from vinyl to computer i went from vinyl to cds so pioneer introduced the uh the the cdj yep yep in in uh 2006 and so i was the first dj in the united states or one of the first djs in the united states to have these cdjs and uh they brought it to my house and I obviously fell in love with it because I, was, I knew that I was on, now I'm going to carry CD, CD booklets. Right. So, um, the crazy thing is a couple, a couple crazy things about this was, well, that wasn't true because no club, obviously when the thing first came out, no club had the CDJ. Yeah. So, Pine, so you had to carry that, right? Right. So what happened is I made, I made two, I got two briefcases that I had specially made for uh, the CDJ, which I still have. And so I would have to now carry the two briefcases <laughs> through the airport uh, because the club, you know, took, it took a year, even a little bit more than a year for, for all the clubs to actually get the CDJ. And then at the time, me and all my DJ friends who have been playing vinyl for so long, we didn't like the idea of, putting you know as many songs as you could on a 74 minute cd and just doing that we were burning uh one song onto one cd still because it made us feel like we were still playing vinyl hmm. that's super interesting and so that's funny we, uh, we, we would get all these new records and the computer was obviously in play now And so iTunes was in play and, and, and Beatport and all these other places you can get music. Yeah. So the music would be computer. And now we were burning and I was buying, I was buying hundreds of CDs every month. Yeah. Blank, Just raw, raw CDs. CDs. Yeah. 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 yeah to, to burn one song <laughs> onto a CD. So I had this, we, we'd have booklets, these big giant CD booklets that we'd carry yeah. in a backpack. And, you know, it was kind of like DJing still with vinyl because you put one CD in a CDJ and then go look through your CD book, kind of like you were looking through it's vinyl. Familiar. Yeah. And everyone, there's only one, one remix on each one of them. So it's easy. It's like, you know, exactly what you're doing rather than running into something else. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was, it was cool. And I loved playing CDs. The thing that, so, so the thing that was lost going from vinyl to CD was the vinyl jacket yeah so so looking at the artwork on 12 inch jackets which is a big part of d you know when you're playing vinyl you got you kind of flipping through all this vinyl really quickly um and just look the colors kind of kind of like uh triggered something in your mind Uh, that made you want to play that record or you would remember things by the, by the jacket of the record, yep. you know, but if you're looking at a bunch of burned CDs, <laughs> you look, they all look the same except for the, what you've written on the CD, you know? So, well, and you know, and, and bringing this, bringing this uh, back home to, to, to all the vinyl collectors listening. I mean, that's kind of why we love vinyl, right? Because, because CDs are a little bit soulless, right? I mean, they're just these silver discs and there's no, you know, you don't have that emotional uh, connection with it because that cover is missing. Right. Flipping through vinyl. I mean, when you go, right. when you go, you know, in, into, into a, into a store and you look through vinyl, um, you know, create, digging as they call it right you go through it um 
Yeah. I mean, that's half the fun is just seeing these visuals and being transported into the 60s, the 70s, the 90s, right? Seeing test pressings and, and like all that stuff. But it's all about that. It's all about seeing that jacket uh, when you flip through. I totally agree. You still don't see it. You still don't, even with, even with, um, you know, obviously things have artwork, uh, songs have artwork and stuff, but there's definitely something missing that connection that you made between the song and touching the vinyl and flipping it over and reading the credits up by the way. So I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a co-chair of the producer and engineers wing for the Grammys here in Nashville. And something that we're, we're discussing right now, I don't want to get too far on the subject, but a big thing that's missing right now in music, an issue is that all the metadata, all the information that you used to find on the back of a 12 inch vinyl uh, is missing. Hmm. It's not. It's not being translating from the song to the listener. So before you would just look at the CD booklet or a twelve-inch vinyl jacket, and you'd get all this information: yeah. who who played the song, who mixed the song, where it was recorded, who wrote the song, who produced the song, the record label, all this stuff's on there. The lyrics, all that stuff yeah, was on yeah. was off these jackets. Case in point, Dave, I mean, I, I remembered in the back of, I'm, I'm a huge Deepish Mode nut. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, like 400 something Deepish Mode records. It's kind of like that. That was my thing, right? Um, and I remember that you you remixed Depeche Mode and I couldn't find it for the life of me. And that's exactly why. Because now I went into Discogs and that's basically, I mean, they have all the database of everything, right? And I very quickly realized, oh, it's because it was the DJ Dan remix, right? But you, yeah. you were you were remixing it yeah. with him. And it, I mean you had you you sampled people are people in there and it, it was very memorable for me. But but I, you know, I knew that at the back of my head, but that's exactly that's exactly why, because now you just stream something or you have an MP3 or, or whatever it is. It's like, you don't, you don't get that information. And it's so crucial. Yes. I, you know, DJ Dan was one of the artists at Moonshine that I was producing all his records and, and he's, he was a very good, still is a very good friend of mine. And um, so I was doing all Dan's music. And so uh, the label hired Dan to do a remix of Depeche Mode. Uh, there was a couple songs the one I remember is Precious. Yep, yep. Um, and there was one more, and I can't even remember what it was. But uh, so, I, you know, unfortunately, that's one band I wish I, I there's, there's not a Dave Odd Day remix of the Fetch Mode out there. Yeah. But that would be, that's one band that I definitely dream. There's not very many bands left, I, artists I haven't remixed. Um, they are definitely my top, in my top five. You know, when, when, when the day comes and I have Dave Gahan or Martin Gore in the show, I will make sure to let them know. <laughs> or Daniel Miller of Mute. That would be even better, right? Go straight to the source. Um, so, um, yeah. no, that's, that, that's great. But, but the, the DJ Dan uh, remix, you, you had your hands in that, right? Yes. No, no, no. I did the remix and it's Dan's name's on it. Right, right, right. It's, it's, uh, you, did, you did remix Deepish Mode. It's just not yeah. the label. Your brand is not well, on it. Well, <laughs> I, I did it. I did it. I did it under the DJ Dan name. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't. Dan. Dan doesn't doesn't do what I do in the studio. Let's just leave it at that. Right. 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 Totally. Makes makes total total sense. And you know <laughs> what what do you do in the studio? I mean, you created you created really a niche for taking on 
any genre, right? Uh, and giving it your 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 special, you know, danceable treatment, regardless if it's country or pop or whatever, right? And you said in an yeah. interview, and I I really really love that you said that you're not trying to do the cool stuff. You're you're, you're basically making your clients happy by keeping the maturity of their songs intact, and, and that is really unusual in an industry that, you know, has lots of creative egos involved, right? You, you do a remix and, and I'm not dissing that at all because it's wonderful, right? Having super creative remixes where it takes you even a minute to understand which song that is. And, and there's a space right. for that, but, but you, right. you kind of went the other way where, where the cool kids didn't go. And you're like, wait a minute, why does no one just celebrate these songs and make them, you know, more sellable, more danceable, more enjoyable on the dance floor. And I thought that was, right. that was really, really neat. There's, listen, there's, there's multiple ways to go around uh, producing records. And so there's, you know, and nobody has, nobody's right. There's no, there's no one way to do it. There's no right way to do it. Uh, the, the, the record I just got nominated on, the Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande, I totally flipped it. In other words, my remix sounds nothing like the original. But if you listen to my remix of Reba McIntyre, Fancy, it sounds like the original just maybe better updated a little mm -hmm. bit faster on steroids yeah yeah and that's mostly most of the time what i do is i try to keep the original song intact and so i you know because at the end of the day it's not about me it's about promoting the artist and the artist's song it's not about promoting dave on day people and other remixers kind of use this opportunity to promote themselves which is fine but i'm my number one goal is to just do something awesome for the artist and the artist song. And and you know, talking about talking about some of the music that you you listened to growing up, and then the music that you surround yourself uh, with day by day uh, based on your work. What what do you listen to in in private these days on a Saturday afternoon, sipping a glass of I guess anejo tequila because that's what you talked about. Man, yeah, <laughs> like, love, like I love. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I got that right. You got that right. You've done your research. Uh, but I, uh, you know, here's here's the thing. I I, I try to listen to music uh, every day. I don't really have too much time to sit down with a glass of tequila because I have three kids. But uh, uh, I wish I did. But if I do, I'm just, I'm kind of all over the place. I want to hear what other people are doing, whether it's uh, a new Casey Musgraves record or, a, you know, the new Adele record that I think everybody's been listening to the last two weeks yep. or the new ABBA record that yep. everybody's been listening to last month. So, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I'm not, I'm not any different than everybody else. I'm just listening to, I'm interested to hear what, what is coming out from, from everybody. And, uh, uh, I'm not just listening to, to dance music or techno or house, uh, all the time. I do listen to a lot of that, but I do, uh, listen to a lot of, uh, of everything. And, and of course I grew up in the eighties. So, uh, if I'm driving in the car, uh, I probably listen to eighties a bunch because that's what I grew up on and it makes me happy. Right, that's the that's the sentimental value, right? It's uh, it's just yeah. it kind of works for everyone, right? Um, yeah. How do you how how big is your vinyl collection today? I mean, did, did you get rid of all of it at some point, uh, or I mean, and, and well, also on the on the same level? Sorry, uh, because it, it's just 
too exciting for anyone listening, right? I mean, if you were if you were part of a record label, do you still have all of these like test pressings and these? You know, I mean, uh, those were amazing jams back back in yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah. I I have a bunch of stuff still, uh, and like I said, so I was DJing vinyl, strict, you know, only vinyl for fifteen years, and I was probably buying you know anywhere from five to thirty. Uh, records singles a week so i had a lot of vinyl and about eight or nine years ago i i my my wife and i just we she couldn't we couldn't i didn't have any more room so i got rid of most of the stuff that i wasn't playing or or wasn't sentimental to and so i uh i put up messages on my social pages pages eight or nine years ago and gave away vinyl to uh, three or four lucky, lucky individuals that drove immediately to my house, and I I handed them crates and crates and crates. No of stuff. way! Wow. Yeah, but I I still have about eight hundred records, so I kept stuff that was really uh you know like 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 my first Doth Punk record, for instance, mm. or stuff stuff that if I was going to do a set today that I would still play, like you know big big records that I was playing on vinyl. So a lot of breakbeat stuff. Uh, uh, a lot of techno, a lot of, you know, 90s house and uh, early 2000s stuff that I was playing in clubs. So I kept stuff that I was, that I played a lot, but I got rid of stuff that I just didn't, you know, when you're, when you're a DJ uh, or you're buying stuff every week and a lot of times you might play something once, a lot of records you don't, you don't even play because you get home, you put it on, you go, ah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really what I thought it was. And then what, then what do you do? It goes in a box and just sits there. So I gave away, I gave away most of that stuff. And I, I sold about 800, 800 pieces of vinyl. Um, Is is there, uh, is there an artist that is, uh, that is the most uh, represented in your, in your collection? Like, is there there one artist where you, where you feel like you've got, you've got a lot of that, of that artist? Well, I mean, it was, it would be from artists that were really huge 91 to 2006 when i was buying vinyl so i would say people like like norman cook <laughs> i have well, i have a lot of norman cook i have a lot of my friends uh, crystal method for instance uh so, so i was playing a lot of crystal method records so guys that were making a lot of records in those years i have a lot of stuff from them uh, uh Stuart price Jacques mm. lucan uh, i have a lot of his stuff so just people that i was playing a lot a lot of um, Olav Vasovsky was a guy who was putting out records on this, this, uh, label called work, work records. Uh, yeah, just, you know, uh, Antoine Clameron, another, another DJ that I played a lot of during those years. So these are, you know, just artists, DJs and, and remixers and producers that I played a lot of their stuff during those, those 15 years. And and when you when you talked about you and your wife going through the records, or more you and your wife saying out with the records, and you had to go through them, yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. How, yeah. How, you know, you talked about some some of them had sentimental value. Is is there is is, is there are there one or two records in your collection where where you feel like you know like do, do, those you will never give away? Like they're super. There's they're, you just cherish them either because they're really rare or or because you know you have a huge sentimental um, you know value associated with it. Well, uh, well, that would be like the first record that I ever made, uh, a Dave Aude Day record, was a song was a song called Floor Filler Tune. So that that's I have some vinyl of that. So I obviously won't ever get rid of that, even though I probably have never pulled, I haven't played that song in 
since I made it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I think, you know, the first vinyl I ever got from somebody was, uh, one of my mom's boyfriends, uh, gave me a copy of ELO discovery hmm. on vinyl. So that means a lot to me. Obviously, uh, all the erasure stuff that I have on vinyl, uh, you know, and I think I have a lot of Duran Duran stuff too, because kind of like the same time yep. in high school, Duran Duran and erasure was like the big, the big things on vinyl for me. Um, and then the first three things I ever, the first three vinyl that I bought, um, full album vinyl were, and it's funny cause I bought them all three at the same time, uh, for Christmas, uh, when I was in, uh, eighth grade. And it was the Go-Go's We Got the Beat, <laughs> Foreigner 4, and Rick Springfield, uh, <laughs> Jess, the, the Jesse's Grill album. So uh, for some reason, I, I asked for all three of those on vinyl. I got them, and I, asked, I think I got them on cassette, too, because the same Christmas, my grandmother got me a uh, Walkman. Oh, yeah. And, and so, so that was a big thing. That was like the explosion of the cassette. And, but, but, but by the way, up until that moment, I was getting everything on vinyl. So, you know, I got vinyl that Christmas and cassette yep. that Christmas. And I think from then on, I was getting probably cassettes until I started DJing. And, and, and it's funny because one of my questions, uh, would have been, you know, what's, what's a guilty pleasure, um, you know, record, but you already listed some, <laughs> yeah, there was Rick Springfield. Well, Spring no, I mean, <laughs> No, I have so many, I, I'm the, I'm definitely a guilty pleasure <laughs> guy. I mean, I do love ABBA and that's, I, I think ABBA's maybe cool again, but for a long time, people, ABBA was not something people really admitted to listen to. Yep. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Rick James, you know, uh, street <laughs> songs album, maybe that's something that's a guilty pleasure or something. I don't just but to me it's not it's not a guilty pleasure i still i love it's Rick just James. a pleasure love, right exactly yeah. yeah 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 well so what what do you think about the new abba album because i i um i i forced myself um to to listen to it as well um and it was it, well, well you you tell me first well uh, look i mean i i really love the 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 older abba stuff and i think it's great that they <laughs> came back and made a new album um I don't, it didn't hit me the same way as some of those old, older ABBA classics. Yeah. Uh, the sentiment was still there, but I just don't think, um, the vocals were, were there in my opinion. Hard to pull off uh, right at this point. Uh, I mean, you know, you know God bless them. Exactly. God bless them yeah. for, 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 for trying to give their fans something, you know, but I think they definitely took way too much time off. Like, I don't, you know, that's, I don't know. There must've been reasons for taking, was it 40 years or something? I mean, uh, a crazy amount of time off. And I just think that's, that at a certain point, it's like, you know, uh, they should, they should have made a record 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. No, totally, but totally agree. And it, sad, it's sad they didn't because they're so talented. Look, the talent is still there just the voices aren't what they were, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree. Um, what are some of your, what are some of your top,
pop albums. And I love to ask that especially to 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 someone who's who seems to be single-minded in his work because it's always about the song, right? But the idea of albums, um, you know, for, for you personally, and maybe those are some that you already mentioned, right? But so, what are some of like the top albums that 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 kind of like shaped you or that that you know? Well, I mean, uh, and I kind of mentioned a couple already, but uh, Eagles, uh, uh, it, which Eagles album? I'm gonna say. Uh, uh, Oh my God. Uh, hold on. My brain's not my brain. My brain does. I didn't, I didn't write everything down today. Hotel California album was, yep. was big, was big for me. Um, and that when I say album, not just hotel California song, I mean the whole album. Right. So right. that was a big album, full album for me, um, which I had on, on vinyl. And, um, you know, the whole thing, sitting there, dropping the needle, not fast forwarding, actually listening to the whole thing uh, would be a, a, a big album for me. Uh, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm probably not the guy to, get to give you like super crazy, never heard of that album before stuff. Uh, but the next album is probably another fairly obvious thing to most people, I would think. And that's Beach Boys Pet Sounds album. Mm-hmm. And that's another big album for me. And, you know, this is just stuff that I grew up on and, you know, really shaped my, my childhood. And I already mentioned ELO discovery. So those were, those were, you know, big albums, drop the needle, listen to the whole thing, turn it over, listen to the next side. Uh, crazy enough, another, another piece of vinyl uh, uh, that I, that I loved uh, which I got was, um, and I'm just trying to remember the name of the, the record because it was Donna Summer and it was um, um, the the album that was it bad? Was Bad Girls the name of the album? It might have been. No, yeah, it was. It was Bad Girls. So the Bad Girls album that had uh, it had Bad Girls and it had hot stuff. That, that's yeah, right. It was like 79 or something like that. 80. Or, or, yeah, right. But very that, late night, for 70s. some reason that was just, you know, at that time when I was in uh, fourth grade, fourth grade, dim all the lights was on it. it. It was a big, you know, big, big record. It was the record yeah. that I remember taking out of the, taking out of the sleeve. And I remember, I remember putting it on the turntable and playing those songs and just sit, sitting there and looking at the, at the, at the, the sleeve uh listening to this phenomenal Giorgio Moroder production. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was he was the man. That's uh not th- knowing but not knowing who Giorgio Moroder was. Of course. <laughs> not knowing what a, what a producer was. You know, nobody told me about this, but but this something that that I knew that I loved whatever was happening coming through the speakers. So uh those were just some great memories for me. It 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 it's so it's so um, neat, Dave, to like to to kind of like look at what you're doing now and 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 where you're coming from musically and and how it strangely magically all perfectly connects, <laughs> right? I mean, it just it yeah. just makes a lot of sense listening to some of your some of your stuff now that you're doing today, um, and then and then going back in your history of um you know of of what you what you grew up grew up with and and subliminally i'm i'm sure there's a lot of influence that uh, that 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 one can hear yes definitely 
And you know, we, we we're slowly coming to an end here. But I, but you know, I I know you just got got the Grammy nomination. But but why? What are you what are you working on uh, currently that you're excited about, or, or or what's next for you that you're really looking forward to? You know, um, there's all I'm always working on different things, and and I'm always excited about you know obviously the things I'm working on right now. But something I'm very excited about is just just finishing a song for the next Erasure album coming out next year. So that's definitely a big part of my uh life coming going in full circle they are such workhorses uh, huh erasure i mean they just this year they had all of these remix albums the year before i think they had an album i mean they just you know talking about the opposite of abba i mean erasure just keeps pushing that's i look i'm very much looking forward to are you are you actually producing uh, the entire album or are you producing some songs well we'll see what happens we've been talking about that for a long time we're starting with one song this week. Uh, Andy and I have all have written about another eight songs. Um, and so we'll just, it's, it's about getting Vince to sort of, you know, I have to, Vince is the gatekeeper. Obviously he's, yep. he's one of my favorite, mostly respected producers ever. Yep. You know, because of the, as you know, he founded, you know, Depeche Mode and Yaz and mm-hmm. Erasure, just phenomenal, phenomenal, production songs everything he's a i would never ever want to uh step on his toes so it's really about you know doing everything alongside him and making sure that uh, uh i respect uh vince but uh no andy pun. is a great respect yep <laughs> what, what, what's that no pun with what's respect that? that was one no of the big erasure <laughs> it's right no pun no pun with the respect yeah um but I'm super excited about that, and, and I'm just finishing uh, an album, a Dave Day album that, that I'm going to put out next June with some of my friends, uh, Leanne Rimes, Jesse James Decker, uh, hopefully a song with Adam Lambert, uh, another, another friend of mine, Luciana, who I've done a lot of records with, mm. a song with Andy Bell, of course, Nicole Scherzinger, um, maybe RuPaul. We've got a couple songs. So that's coming out next June, Pride Month. Um, excited about that. And then I'm just, you know, working on stuff, a uh, lot of new stuff here in Nashville, a couple, couple Nashville artists and, uh, you know, the usual stuff. I'm always working on, on something new. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not a workaholic. You're just a, you're just someone who really enjoys what you do. It sounds like, uh, and I can very much relate to that. And, uh, l- listen, I do Dave, I mean, you, I couldn't have wished for a better first first guest. I, I hope that everyone enjoyed it. Um, thank you, thank you so much for for taking the time today um, and giving us a peek behind behind the curtain of your of your record collection of your tastes and uh, and just a really really great conversation. So, thank you. Be well and um, yeah, talk soon and keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait. I can't wait for um, to to listen to that that Eurasia production. That that I'm super super excited about. Me too. You and me both. <laughs> I hope Vince too, and then every and and, and then everything pans out. <laughs> yes, man, it's so it's so great to meet new people, and I've had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And this marks the beginning of Sound Habit. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. This is a brand new podcast, so it can use all the loving it can get. 
And make sure to catch the accompanying playlist where we put together a majority of the songs and the artists Dave mentioned during this interview. Sound Habit is produced by Tone Optic, where we believe that storing and selecting records should be intuitive and engaging. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Sound Habit theme music was written and produced by the one and only Happiness One. I will see you on the next episode of Sound Habit. Sound Habit.